Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast and the latest installment in our series focused on corporate strategy and competitive intelligence. My name is Luke Johnson. I report for the corporate team here in Houston. And today I'm joined by Abhi Rajendran, the Director of Energy Intelligence's Research and Advisory Unit. Hey, Abhi. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me. And we've also got senior natural gas markets reporter, Tom Haywood. Thanks for being here, Tom. No pleasure. Okay, today we will be talking about natural gas and the rather dire position of the U.S. gas industry uh, today in the in early 2020. So the U.S., of course, has more gas than it knows what to do with due to the booming production from shale plays in the Appalachian Basin and the Haynesville not to mention increasing volumes of associated gas coming from major oil producing regions like the Permian and the Bakken. And this abundance of resource has resulted in some very low regional prices in the last couple of years. Um, and we're kind of at the lowest point we've had, we've been since kind of 2016, um, currently below $2 per million BTU at Henry Hub right now in the dead of winter. So, Tom, let's start with you. Um, what are some of the biggest factors that's affecting the price today? And I mean, is it just a matter of oversupply? Uh, well, you could say oversupply is is exacerbating other bearish fundamentals, um, but it is one of the most bearish fundamentals, being a record uh, and more than we can use. Um, on the other hand, though, it's also it's also um, a masking bullish shoot, such as rising LNG capacity that is cons it consumed as much as 900 uh, billion cubic feet of gas um, just in in week ago, and you know there there are all sorts of uh, bearish things though, like storage and you know that 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 is troubling, but it's not. It, it shouldn't be as troubling as it seems to be. Well, when we had February futures rolling off the board at uh, 186.5, and March today is in the low 180s and threatening to drop perhaps into the low 160s if, it, if there's nothing that's going to be supported. And this is extraordinary because there are two months of winter to go. And we last saw sub $2 pricing in 2016, but that was late February before traders uh, threw in the towel. And, and so this is unprecedented in how early this has happened. Mm. So Abi, your team has published some reports recently about where you see U.S. gas supply heading. Uh, so from your perspective, is there a risk that supplies are only going to continue to balloon and, and push these prices down even further? Or will the low prices finally actually force producers to start reining in some of their own production? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, you know, and then from, from, from all the data that we've looked at and the analysis that we've done, um, you know, it, it, there are some pretty clear signs that data is already, uh, that the supply side has already uh, responded. Um, it's, it's already started to plateau out. Um, and, you know, we just started February, um, you know, based on everything that we've looked at, this, this response actually started happening um, even back in December. Um, and that's when prices first started sliding. And obviously it was January where it kind of went straight to the $2 threshold and, and, and below kind of exiting January. Um, and then we've certainly seen, you know, more signs of supply uh, responding. Um, you, know, it, you know, we're just kind of at the, at the period of time where 
producers are in the process of kind of planning ahead for 2020, right? So, so given this backdrop, given that the winter really has not arrived, um, and and even though it's not quite over yet, it doesn't really look like it's it, it's going to be able to market out. Um, you know, there are also calls for kind of an early spring coming. Um, and so all of these will probably mean that producers respond even more um, and cut activity back even further. Um, we've seen some signs of that from, you know, from a few of the Appalachian focused players like um, like CNX Resources, um, you know, Chesapeake as well. So certainly this is something that we would expect to see more of, um, you know, over the over the coming weeks. And so do you think it will be these uh, gas basins that are hit the hardest in terms of the change in activity? I think I think Halliburton said that the, it would be the dry gas basins that bear the brunt of uh, a, a reduction in spending. Um, but is it is it basically Appalachian and Haynesville or are there other basins we should be looking at as far as, um, you know, ac- activity declines? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, you know, Appalachia. Um, you know, what's interesting is, is, is Haynesville is actually held in. Uh, relatively stubbornly given this price environment. But we would think that, you know, at, at least at the margin, that there'd be signs of, of the supply side in the Haynesville cracking too. Um, some of the other kind of gassy focused areas, um, which are, you know, quite not quite as economic, will certainly feel the pain, um, including an Anadarko basin. Um, and, and even some of the, the gassier parts of, of kind of the more oil-focused basins, right? So, so certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the pain and the, um, the, the challenges with, with, with these low gas prices are going to be quite widespread. Um, and and, and the, I think the, the second part that, that we shouldn't forget is, you know, even for oil-focused producers in the Permian, in the Bakken, um, in parts of the Eagleford, Niobrara, um, you know, gas and NGLs too are a fairly large part of the of the output, and so extremely weak pricing for for those products um, will also impact the you know the the cash flows for these producers, um, as we saw last year. Now, it's probably not going to necessarily deviate uh, the plans of oil focused producers, but what's interesting is you know you've also had you know an oil price slide over the last couple of weeks. Um, and then oil kind of sits right at the $50 WTI threshold. So, um, you know, I, I would I would look for the supply side response to kind of spread even farther. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that what you said with the Haynesville does seem to be hanging in with production. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that LNG uh, feedstock demand has been so strong. I mean, all the basins have, have are starting to have different fundamentals as far as their there's where they, what they are supplying, where, where you don't have Appalachia is trying to supply, you know, the mid, mid-continent, I mean, Midwest, and it's also trying to supply the Northeast, and both of those regions are fairly um, well supplied. Whereas the, in Louisiana, when you have, when you have an extra, when you have nine BCF of, of feedstock being sent abroad, you know, you know, as LNG, that, that just creates its own dynamic. And so that's something we need to really look at, I think. Hmm. Um, so you kind of mentioned the associated gas there, Abby. Um, and Tom, I mean, rising oil production in the Permian Basin is also going to lead to uh, quite a bit of excess gas supply um, coming out of the oil wells. And it wasn't too long ago, and I think we might even be back almost to that point, that Waha gas prices actually flipped negative because um, there wasn't enough takeaway capacity. Yeah, we're seeing that. 
Right. Seeing that again. So, so what, um, you know, the, what's the pipeline situation? What's the takeaway situation? Is that going to have an impact on the, the broader sort of macro picture? Well, the, the pipeline situation in the Permian is really pretty dire. The, uh, Kinder Morgan's 2B and cubic foot per day, uh, Permian, uh, highway pipeline that was set to come online this year has been pushed back to early 2021 because of problems they had getting rights away through the hill country. And while that's been resolved, and Kinder Morgan says they have 99% right away secure, um, it could see further declines, I mean delays, if it becomes embroiled in legal battles over its federal permits or challenges to its status as an intrastate pipeline and not an interstate pipeline, as it will feed LNG projects. So. Uh, this legal wrangling has a real potential to stall uh, progress. It stalled two major pipelines out of, the Appala- out of Appalachia for years, and, and they're still stalled. And people are beginning to wonder when, if ever, those will come online. I should add that while the Permian takeaway capacity is delayed, growing volumes of associated gas uh, is being trapped inside the basin because every molecule that can get out of the basin is getting out now. And so I would say uh, that that the Permian isn't adding to new supply to the market, but there are other problems that it, that presents. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point, Tom. It's uh, you know, it's you know, there's there's a difference between supply and just sort of, you know, production and and and, and a lot of um, you know, just just molecules just having to be flared, like we saw last year, which which we would expect to kind of repeat, um, you know, this this spring and the summer as well. Unfortunately, so kind of the the solution to that, I guess, is that uh, flaring is going to increase. Um, but do we have any confidence that the Texas Railroad Commission that regulates oil gas production and, and presumably regulates flaring as well, um, that they'll actually crack down on? flaring or venting, or are they just going to kind of look the other ways, uh, the other way if operators decide it's actually just more expedient to, to burn it off or, or, or to vent it? Well, you know, you could say if you look at, at what's happened before, definitely they are not going to stop uh, flaring in Texas. They will increase flaring in Texas because they don't have any choice but to flare if they're going to produce the oil. And the real problem this is going to present is this terrible, terrible optics and, you know, it's an environmental, you know, catastrophe, you know, as far as the way it's going to appear and could increase calls for stricter regulations. And this is especially true as the new satellites are now up and looking at this, you know, for methane release and, and, and such. These just were launched like this last, well, earlier this year. And... Um, there is going to be a human cry because the flaring and the flaring in Texas right now is like what is it, Abby? Like over seven hundred billion cubic feet a day. I mean, not seven hundred million cubic feet a day, going almost a billion by the time this is all done, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and the, the um, you know certainly the numbers from from last year uh, that we looked at at the peak were in the ballpark of you know eight to nine hundred MCF a day. Um, you know, and then obviously you had shut-ins on top of that. So um, you know the interesting thing is last last summer, you know, it, it, when you, there was flaring, but there was also kind of the the light at the end of the tunnel with the Gulf Coast Express pipeline coming online in September October. 
um, you know, we don't have that this year, like you, you know, like you referenced. Um, the next, you know, kind of pipeline, um, you know, kind of helps the situation, uh, you know, early next year at best. So, you know, and then just the one thing I wanted to add to, to this point is, you know, certainly the, you know, the, there's the, you know, the regulatory side, um, but there's also a lot of scrutiny on the, you know, on the, on the producer side of this. I mean, you've definitely had, you know, a much, you know, louder voice coming from operators themselves, like Pioneer, National Resources, um, you know, like some of the super majors, uh, like some of the other kind of large, uh, e, you know, ENPs in, in the Permian start to say, hey, look, you know, this is a bad look for us as producers here. If, you know, we can't all work together, you know, ourselves, the, you know, the regulators um, and other stakeholders to come together and, you know, and, and have a, you know, more environmentally, you know, kind of conscious solution um, to how we grow production. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Okay, Avi, let's talk for a minute about um, the corporate impact of all this. Um, gas prices have been quite low for quite some time now, but uh, many of the top producers have been able to survive. But now if the cost of production is actually becoming higher than the price of the commodity, that would seem to present some some real problems for some of these companies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I referred to it earlier. I mean, we were talking about some of the basins that that, that start to get impacted I mean, really, when you're when you're talking about a, a forward curve, that's you know that's that's a two dollars, and certainly the the next couple of months that are under, um, the economics really you know don't work for any you know gas focused basin. Um, you know, sure, you know your your cash costs of of you know of operating wells, um, you know are are still kind of in the dollar dollar fifty prime MBTU range, but but once you kind of factor in the the cost of um, you know, gathering and transport, and you know, corporate GNA, debt service costs, and all the other things that 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 matter for for a corporate entity. Um, you know, plus there is the you know there's the capital expenditure that's needed to keep that production flat. You know, and then potentially grow on top of that. You know, once you factor all of that in, you know, really the 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 cash cost uh, for many of these basins, um, you know, to generate return or even just to keep production flat is. Um, you know, is is in the ballpark of you know about two sixty to two eighty dollars per MMBTU up in Appalachia, um, in Haynesville, it's it's in the two seventy to three dollar range, um, and then certainly in other parts of the uh, you know in other gas focused basins, it's higher than that. So so the economics are challenging, and this is what I was referring to earlier. The you know the the decision to deploy capital um, and adjust activity levels is happening now. Um, and, and, and all the signs point to kind of, you know, kind of negative revisions for how uh, companies are thinking about, um, you know, you know the, the current environment. And, and even for, and, and to the second part of your question, Luke, for, for, again, for oil-focused producers, you know, putting up, you know, especially those in the Permian, putting up, you know, zero dollar um, uh, price realizations for gas, um, you know, very weak price realizations for NGLs. Um, all of that hurts and certainly affects the, you know, the, the cash flow picture. Um, so it's certainly, you know, something that, that, that we would expect to, um, you know, producers to factor into their calculus for, um, you know, for how to kind of manage ongoing activity um, over the course of this year and beyond. Um, you know, and, and, and what's interesting is, you know, even the, the 2021 forward curve where a lot of hedges for these companies roll off um, now kind of sits in that low twos on average, right? It's about $220, $230 per MMBTU. Um, and so companies may be kind of adjusting for, you know, you know, kind of a retrenched, um, you know, supply uh, plan for not just over the near term, but over the next couple of years. 
And for, just from a leverage perspective, are there are there are there some companies that we should be kind of more concerned about than others as as, as far as the balance sheet goes? There are. I mean, certainly on the, on the gas focus side, um, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know, Chesapeake is kind of a you know a unique animal um, that's had you know these leverage issues kind of ongoing for a while now, but. You know, even for some of the other folks, um, you know, companies like Antero Resources, um, you know, while they have hedges that that make their kind of their near near term uh, leverage profile seem manageable, um, you know, if they, you know, if prices don't recover into 2021, 2022, um, it starts to become problematic. Um, and even for for larger producers, right? You know, like a company like EQT Resources, which, by the way, is the largest gas producer in the country, um, you know, their leverage situation is okay. Um, you know, still, you know, even at the strip, you know, only in kind of the, the two and a half times EBITDA sort of range. But, you know, but they they just recently got downgraded from from investment grade status. And so so any sort of refinancing, any sort of kind of debt adjustment plan, um, you know, all of this just becomes costlier and costlier and more challenging. So so, you know, it, it you know, it really is kind of a, you know, a, a, a whole host of kind of headwinds that, that start to pile up pretty quickly for for gas producers. Um, well, as we wrap this up, though, I, I would like to give a little brighter note here. Um, you know, we, we've been through these these periods before, and, and however bleak it appears, there is an old adage that the cure for low prices is low prices, and markets can tighten rather quickly. Um, we could be well over $2 rapidly, and we could be in the 250s, 260s by summer easily. Um and, and, and the whole market tends to look at these things and they think prices are down, they're going to be down forever, or, you know, just like they always think when prices are up, they're going to be up forever. So, you know, I, I think we shouldn't read too much into our current situation because things have a way of working out and they have for, forever. Yeah. And then just want to add one more point to what Tom was just saying, you know, our you know, our research side uh, of the company, you know, our forecasts are for prices to kind of return back to, you know, not just a $3 number, you know, you know, in a winter month, but but really back to a $3 average, because back to your, you know, original question, Luke, when do companies get to start to reactivate capital again and think about growth? It's it's when really, you know, your your whole strip for the next couple of years moves back towards that $3 number, if not higher. So, uh, that's what we kind of expect to happen. And, you know, you just kind of have more and more supply curtailments until you get that. Okay. Well, um, I think we got to leave it there for now. Um, but this is surely something that we will be following closely, uh, as, certainly as the winter goes on and we move into spring. Um, so thanks, thanks to both of you for your insights on this. Um, to read more of our coverage on gas and many other topics, please head over to energyintel.com for our latest news and analysis. My name is Luke Johnson. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.